And now, it's First and Goal with your host, Big Bear and the Curtain Guy. Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come. Rivalry Week is upon us. We appreciate your patience as we took a week off to collect and prepare for all of the discussion and chaos that is about to ensue this Thanksgiving weekend. I'm the Curtain Guy, Cole Schutte. I'm Big Bear T. Tyler Bansky. And joining us today to help with all of your favorite matchups are Showtime Steve Hammond, Will the Moose Cockrell, and one of the few Michigan fans I'm happy to call my friend, David Beck. As always, glad to have all of you on, and let's get to it. Now, I need to preface this by informing our listeners that we are recording this episode on Monday night. So the playoff rankings we're referring to reflect last week's standings. We have Georgia at number one, Ohio State at number two, TCU at number four, and Michigan at number three. Following that up with Tennessee at number five, LSU at number six, USC at number seven, and Alabama at number eight. So instead of asking everyone for your thoughts, I want some predictions. Knowing how close so many of the games were this past weekend for the top teams, does anything get shifted around in the playoff rankings? Or do we see the same four stay put? Will, I'll start with you. So first, Cole, I want to ask you, and and be honest, we're in the trust tree. Um, did Did you put Michigan in? You know, even though they're third, did you say them last on purpose? Was that a was that a dig at Michigan that, that you just purposely did right there? Listen, they should just subtle. be happy. They should be happy that I said Michigan at all. I have to fight the <laughs> urge to say that team up north. <laughs> in, in terms of the top four, no, there's not going to be any shifting. Um, Georgia, they, they're sleepwalking. They're going to sleepwalk into the playoffs. Um, Ohio State, they handled their business, at, albeit late, against uh, the mighty Terps. Um, Michigan, I'll say them third as they should be, as they should be listed. Um, squeaked one out at the very end. Uh, JJ McCarthy did not have his best game. Uh, struggled passing a little bit, and uh, but they found a way to win. Sands Blake Corum, which uh, that's going to be the biggest news coming into this Saturday. Is he healthy? Uh, what does the knee look like? Uh, all the X-rays came back negative, but uh, a lot of coaches say that a lot of the times doesn't mean it's what is negative. What is it negative for? Who knows. I bet he plays, but is he 100%? That's, that's going to be huge. And then TCU, and probably the best game this weekend, in my opinion, against Baylor, uh, was uh, they've just found a way to win every single week. I mean, every single week they come back and they win. And you you want to think they're fraudulent because they'll they'll go down to all these different teams as they come back and say, oh, they should walk the dog against Kansas State. Well, they had to come back. They, had, they should walk the dog against Texas Tech. Uh, they have to come back and win. Well, here comes Baylor, and everybody's like, all right, Baylor's going to beat him. Let's make Baylor the favorite. Nope, TCU comes back and wins. So now that everybody's on their bandwagon and they're going to start pulling for them, I think this might be the week or next week might be the week they finally trip up. I hope they don't. I'm pulling for it. I would love to see some some horned frogs in there. Uh, and then obviously Tennessee is going to – they're going to slide. I think they might slide out of the top 10. LSU's going to stay put. Although – I don't think anybody, a lot of people paid attention, but they struggled with UAB. I mean, that was a fourteen to ten game for most most of the most four quarters. I think going into the third quarter or the, uh, the fourth quarter, it was still fourteen to ten, and then somehow LSU just came alive and scored thirty points. Um, 
Alabama handled their, handled their business against a very weak opponent, Austin P. I think it was. Uh, and yeah, so other than that, no shifts. No shifts in the top four. The playoff rankings are going to look the same. And with that TCU team, I mean, we very well could see a rematch with that Kansas State team that you mentioned that they struggled with earlier in the season. So if both teams can handle their business this weekend, we can see a rematch there. Big Bear, what are your thoughts? Do we see the same top four or are there some shifts? No, I think we definitely still see the same top four. Uh, I'll start off by saying I picked a very comfortable five-team parlay this weekend with the teams that I thought were just straight-up wins. And I think I sweat through more than half of them. It was TCU, uh, Ohio State, Michigan. Um, gosh, I think I had Penn State in there. Luckily, they were, shockingly, they were the most convincing one. But, uh, yeah, very scary weekend for me. Uh, the top four close games, you know, uh, end of the season, you want to keep guys healthy, maybe some look-ahead games. TCU, as Will said, fighting to survive week after week, but they're doing it very, very promising there. Um, five through eight, I'm always a toss-up with these. You know, I know USC is going to slide up to um, five or six. If they continue to win, if they can win the Pac-12 title, I think they could potentially be top four, assuming you know, one of those top four are going to fall out. I, for me, though, I, Cole, I talked to you about this earlier. I don't think USC to me is worthy of a playoff spot. And I'll die on that hill because one, I just don't think their defense is that good. We saw it clear as day against UCLA this weekend. The middle Preach. of the field was wide open, wide open. Multiple times, and it hasn't just been TC or it hasn't just been against UCLA, it's been against Oregon State, it was against Utah. It's consistent, it's just not that good of a mid level defense. And the second part of that is if you uh USC does win out, they win the Pac 12 title and they make the playoff, who's that good for? That's not good for the Pac 12, they're going to the Big Ten as soon as USC makes the playoff. The Big Ten's going to stick their flag in them and say, Hey, guess what? We got another team in the playoff. So for the Pac-12, I think it's better off to have one of the teams that's not leaving you win the conference title, whether that be Washington, uh, Oregon, or however this pans out. But the top four, I, I think it stays the same uh, as of tomorrow night. And we definitely talked about that in our belief of how USC would fare in the playoff. And I agree with you. I like what they do offensively. I think they're very explosive, but with their defense the way that it is, they're not going to be able to keep up with most, most of these elite level teams because those teams are going to be able to get the handful of stops they need to win those type of shootout games with the Trojans. David, finishing with you, do you think there's anyone currently just outside the top four who could inch within striking distance of the playoffs with some help this upcoming weekend? Uh, I mean... Uh, I mean, well, Tennessee's out, so that's not even a question. Uh, Alabama, I think eight's a little bit too far down. Plus, they don't have the benefit of the championship game, so I don't really see them doing anything. Uh, LSU is <sighs> to have a two-loss team uh, in the top four uh, does seem like it's it's a bit of a stretch. Uh, granted, they have some great wins, um, but that win against Tennessee is you know lost a lot of its strength uh, this past weekend with their loss uh, as Tennessee lost to South Carolina, and so. I think USC is the only realistic option I can see, but kind of to uh, to Tyler's well, uh, 
I forgot actually Tyler said it. Um, USC, I think the only ranked team that they, the only ranked win that they have was this past one against UCLA. Um, and even th- with that, uh, with their loss, um, I know in the AP poll, they only went down one spot. I can't imagine in the college football, uh, in the playoff poll, that they'll slide down too much. So it'll still probably remain a ranked, or they'll still probably remain ranked. Um, but, you know, it all kind of comes down to, uh, will TCU be undefeated? And uh, I know there's a lot of talk about Ohio State and Michigan. Will the loser of that game still be able to uh, keep their spot in the top four? And so a part of me, uh, it, I think it will definitely depend on the final score. Um, usually my thoughts are that Ohio State wins by five touchdowns or Michigan wins by like three points. Um, and so if it's the latter, then I can definitely see Ohio State hanging on to number four, even with a loss. Um, but, uh, well, yeah, but that'll be a really good conversation if OSU loses and then TCU loses, is OSU going to be number four or is USC going to be number four? So uh, USC, in my mind, is the only realistic team I can see um, outside of the top four who is able to get into the spot. But if, to some extent, if everyone holds or if it's if the game is a very close one, then they they might just be kind of screwed um, because, again, their schedule doesn't have too many ranked wins. They don't really have much to show for their schedule. But at the same time, they did win most of the game. So got to give them that at least. Absolutely. And they do have the benefit of the doubt of you would have two more wins hypothetically against a now ranked again, Notre Dame fighting Irish and that game against Oregon, as long as Oregon handles business this weekend. So the resume would look better with the last three wins on your schedule. So I I would have to believe that they would probably pick a one loss conference champion over putting a, a one loss non-conference champion uh you know from the big 10 between ohio state and michigan um and i think a lot of people would like to avoid seeing rematches as well so that that leads me to believe that they would more than likely pick usc to place in there even though it may not provide the four true best teams that we have in college football right now all right like i said we didn't have an episode last week so we're jumping right into our goal line stand for week 13 And is there a week more exciting than this? Friends, family, tons of food, and most importantly, football. More specifically, rivalry football. We kick off our rivalry week with the Palmetto Bowl as the South Carolina Gamecocks, shout out to my fiance who just learned this past weekend, that was their actual mascot and has just gotten unbridled joy from it, travel to the real Death Valley, as Will likes to say, to take on the ninth ranked Clemson Tigers. Some key facts and notes. This will be the 119th all-time meeting between these two programs, with Clemson holding a 72-42 to lead over the Gamecocks and currently on a seven-game win streak. Clemson dominated last year's matchup 30 to nothing. Clemson is favored by 14.5, with the over-under being 50.5. South Carolina is 7-4 on the season, 4-4 in the SEC. Clemson is 10-1 and 8-0 in the ACC. Will... This is going to be your segment to shine. Growing up a South Carolina fan and then playing at Clemson, you bring a unique viewpoint on this rivalry. South Carolina is coming off an enormous upset over Tennessee this past weekend with Spencer Rattler playing one of the best games of his career. Do you believe the Gamecocks can ride this wave of confidence and energy into this matchup with Clemson? Do they possess the ability to upset the Tigers? Oh, without a doubt, Cole. I mean, they they have all the talent in the world. I mean, Spencer Rattler... Don't forget, he was a five-star coming out of high school. I mean, he he's unbelievable. And his freshman year at Oklahoma, they were ready to just go ahead and give him the Heisman, make him the number one draft pick. I mean, he had all the credentials. And then 
No idea what happens. Struggles his second year. Caleb Williams, who's lighting it up at USC, uh, takes his takes his job, and the rest is history. You got Spencer Rattler back at South Carolina, and or to South Carolina with uh, former coach Shane Beamer, and you know, watching them this year, they've been so up and down. They'll play Texas A and M, and they'll score in all these different ways, and they'll play Florida and not have one offensive touchdown. Then they'll get up ahead, twenty-eight against Vanderbilt, and almost blow the lead. And and then they'll play Georgia and just get whitewashed. So it, it, then they play Tennessee, and the clock never struck zero or to, uh, midnight. And Cinderella never found her glass, glass slipper. And somehow, South Carolina scores sixty-three points on Tennessee. And I know Tennessee's defense is bad. I know they are, but sixty-three points is a lot of points. <sighs> They, they definitely have the capability. They're, that receiving core with Jaheim Bell, uh, Juice Wells, Van, uh, 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 Josh Van, they're elite. And if Marshawn Lloyd is, is healthy, they'll have a really good running game going. Um, it all comes down to their offensive line. How consistent can they be? And can Spencer Rattler get out of his own way, make the passes that, that needs to – I mean, because he's got the arm strength. He's got it all. His decision-making is very poor. And it reminds me of another quarterback at the upstate of South Carolina. Now I'll ask you to switch hats and represent your alma mater. This South Carolina passing defense is middle of the pack, 44th in the country, giving up 208.6 yards per game. If it were to get into a shootout, do you believe that DJ Uyunglele could find success through the air and keep up with Rattler? Absolutely. And uh, I would I would send you back to the Wake Forest game in which he got into a shootout with Sam Hartman, albeit Wake Forest's defense was iffy. But he was able to do it. He threw for five touchdowns, threw for, I think, around 300 yards. He's able to do it. And you go back to, to Notre Dame two years ago where he broke the freshman record at, at Clemson and threw for over 400 yards. He's got the talent. And, and just like Spencer, it depends. Is the offense line show up? And does DJ make good decisions? And, and honestly, what makes me the most mad about him is he needs to just make a decision. 1-1,000, 2-1,000, 3-1,000, go. You either run throw it or get rid of it. But he'll sit there and wait, wait, wait for the perfect for the perfect opportunity, which it, it's it's great sometimes. And he's able to 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 brush some people off of him because of his size. I mean he's six five, two thirty five, and that's after he lost weight. Uh you know, he's able to do it sometimes. And I think that's that's kind of his Achilles heel is that he knows he's able to do it. So he'll sit back there a couple seconds longer, but you can't do that. Uh but to, to, to come back to it, yes, DJ is definitely able to, to keep up with that uh, the passing attack of South Carolina, especially if Spencer Rattler's playing like he did last year. And if, if Clemson can get their running game going, I think it won't matter how, how much DJ throws. And honestly, I think that 208.6 yards might be the exact amount of yards DJ throws for this weekend. Two touchdowns, 208. I think that'll be perfect. That's all he needs to do. Get Will Shipley and Phil Moffa going. You don't have to worry about the rest. And I'm glad you touched on his running ability because we didn't see Hendon Hooker last week do a whole lot with his legs, five carries for 25 yards, but he did enough to keep that secondary honest and and keep them from just sitting in zone defenses and, and you know, allowing Hendon to keep them honest, use his legs and his passing ability to, to move the ball up and down the field. Because for the most part, Tennessee was keeping up with them up until that injury. So I think that's a good way for Uyunglele to pick up 
much needed first downs and keep drives alive because that's where I think Clemson has struggled the most throughout the season is not sustaining drives, even when they have more talent on that side of the ball. Oh, you're absolutely right. And the difference between the way Tennessee runs with Hendon Hooker and the way Clemson runs with, with DJ is the, the Clemson runs with DJ there. He's running halfback runs. It's not read options. They, he is running a power play. I mean, I remember when I was there, they, it was a power run. It would have the same name as if the halfback was running it. And we'd add a, 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 a letter to it to, to signify that it was the quarterback. And he can do it. He's very capable. They don't just do that quarterback draw like they used to a hundred times a game. They stick the quarterback in. They stick the quarterback in, and they have the, the halfback run and kick out the outside guy and hit that gap. And they do it really well. They're, they're getting a lot better at it, and I, that gives DJ confidence. And then he starts hitting those throws that he he's normally struggled with. Absolutely. All right. Well, the most important question I'll ask you: biases aside. Who wins on Saturday, Clemson or South Carolina? Okay. So I need you to get out your best letterhead. Get your quill. Sit at your desk. Yeah, you have a quill in this situation, okay? And write this down, all right? Pay very close attention. Total defense. Clemson, 18th in the country. South Carolina, 85th. Passing defense. <clears throat> Clemson, 51st. South Carolina, 43. Edge, South Carolina. Rush defense. Clemson, 12. South Carolina, 110. Yes, that zero is there on purpose. Edge Clemson. Total offense, Clemson, 51. South Carolina, 77. Passing offense, Clemson, 70th. South Carolina, 46. Edge, South Carolina. I think last week might have helped them out a little bit. Rushing offense, Clemson, 44. South Carolina, 96. Okay. I'll give you a second. Go back. Hit the, hit the subtract 15 seconds a couple times if you need to get those again. Make sure you get it written down. And now what I want you to do, I want you to take that letterhead, fresh with the ink that was the medium for this beautiful calligraphic masterpiece, ball it up, throw it in the trash. All those stats don't matter for this game and for any game that go on this weekend. The age-old cliche of the record books don't matter is so, so true. There's, there's true disdain in this matchup. Clemson and South Carolina do not like each other. Uh, and and I know Clemson is 72 and 42. I know we've won seven in a row, but it does not matter. South Carolina could go 0 and 11. And if they beat us, you would think that they won the national championship. This is, this is, you, they want to ruin our, 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 our chances. If they beat us this week, Clemson has a 50% chance to get into the playoff. It's a, it's a long shot, but they have a shot. South Carolina wins or plays them close. I don't think Clemson has a shot. I think this game, South Carolina comes out pretty hyped, comes out excited, scores a quick touchdown. Clemson's defense settles in. Spencer Rattler makes a couple of mistakes. DJ makes a couple of mistakes. And in the second half, Clemson steps on their neck, runs down the hill, destroys the Gamecocks, 35 to 24. 24, they're going to score a seven. Uh, garbage time. They're going to have some second stringers in there so they can get in. You know, there's still some seniors around. So Clemson gets the dub. We then travel to the other end of the country for the matchup formerly known as the Civil War and now referred to as the Battle for the Platypus Trophy, which, by the way, is one of the greatest college football trophies in our humble opinion. The 12th-ranked Oregon Ducks make the 45-minute drive north to Corvallis to take on the 23rd-ranked Oregon State Beavers. If the rankings stick, 
This will be the first ranked matchup between the two since 2012. Some key facts and notes. This will be the 126th all-time meeting between these two programs, with Oregon holding a 67-48 to lead. Oregon won last year's matchup 38-29. to Oregon is favored by three, with the over-under being 56.5. Oregon State is 8-3 on the year and 5-3 and in the Pac-12. Oregon is 9-2 on the season and 7-1 and in the conference. Big Bear, it wasn't always perfect, or pretty for that matter, for Bo Nix last week, but he got it out a crucial win for the Ducks. What does he need to do in this matchup to get the win and secure a spot in the Pac-12 title game? Yeah, this is for sure a three-point game, and uh, Oregon State should get a lot more credit than they have in the Pac-12. Those three losses come to USC in a nail-biter, Washington in a nail-biter, and then unfortunately a Utah game where nothing clicked for them at all. Uh, For Oregon and Bo Nix, though, last week, 70% healthy, in my opinion, but the dude balled out. And I think the point that I want to make for Oregon and Bo Nix this week is he has to get healthy. Uh, Dan Lanning said in this press conference today, just he's been hitting his rehab at advanced level, the best way to put it. They didn't know until about an hour before game time that he was even going to take the field. But he gritted it out for senior day, and that's just the kind of guy he is. He's a leader of that locker room. There was even a point in the game on Saturday where he pulled that entire offense into a huddle, essentially yelled at them about how big the game was, and got everybody back on track where things were going south. But So they need him on the field. Being healthy is the biggest part. The second thing is that Oregon needs to be able to establish a run game, including Bo, when playing at Oregon State. Uh, Oregon State is top three in the pack for points per game, yards per game, and rush yards per game to their opponents. So those are three very important parts to Oregon's offense. They like to score points. Uh, They like to chunk up yards both in the passing game and the rushing game, and they need that run game with Bo and his his legs. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Um, But again, when you open up the run game, you start to open up the pass. And last week, Dante Thornton, Troy Franklin, and injured Bo Nix still trying to chuck up deep balls to those guys, and they're, they're hitting stride at the right time. So I really think this game plan for Oregon centers around the health of Bo and what he can do. And Big Bear, you and I watched the Oregon-Washington game in which Bo Nix got hurt and Ty Thompson had to come in. And unfortunately, I just don't think Ty Thompson is the guy that can lead them to victory if it falls on his shoulders. So I agree with you. I think Bo Nix plays a crucial part in not only this game, but if Oregon wants to win a Pac-12 title, it's going to come on the shoulders of Nix. I'm going to ask you to play devil's advocate against your beloved Ducks. What do the Beavers do well that brings you concern? Are there areas in this matchup that you think Oregon could struggle? Oh, well, there's no bigger Duck critic than myself. Uh, Oregon just continues to struggle in the passing game. You saw it against Washington. You still saw it against Utah. It just was on a lower scale. And Utah and their use of Dalton Kincaid at tight end was just brutal as a fan to watch of how he chunks up yards could convert third downs Um, that can really eat away a defense over the course of a game. If you can't stop it, that offense will continue to just drive down the field and put up points on you. So for Oregon state, I would say, keep an eye on their tight ends and how 
Um, they choose to use them in crucial situations. They got Jack Velling, uh, Luke Musgrave. They even have some younger under underclassmen that are going to mix in. Um, but how does Oregon defend them? Do they leave that part of the field open for them and focus on like the Trayshawn Harrison or the wide receivers? I don't know. That's that's the key point to watch. Uh, the other piece, freshman quarterback Ben Gilbranson for Oregon State is coming off of his best game so far in his young playing career. He put up a QBR of 92 at Arizona State. Um, he's really seeming to hit stride since his early season injury, so that's a key piece to watch. How does he come into this rivalry game? And defensively, we talked about it early, Oregon State is very strong and has the ability to stop the run. So if they can get Oregon to those long third downs and can even get them to stall out some drives, can the Beavers then turn around and capitalize on offense where it puts Oregon on their toes? So that's the key point for Oregon State. And we talked about it with the Washington matchup as well, that Oregon's pass defense has struggled at times, and this is a unit that ranks 122nd in the country. So I realize that this is a freshman quarterback for the Beavers, but he could find some early success, and so I want to see how the Ducks respond to that. All right, Big Bear. Having played both sides of this rivalry coin now, how does this version of the of the game play out? Who takes the platypus trophy? Well, a game less than three points. Um, it's at Oregon State. Research Stadium is still going to be at about half capacity, just over that. They're doing ongoing renovations. I think poorly timed, but who, who can properly time construction? Uh, so expect a lot more orange than green in those stands. And the Beavers are coming off of two really solid weeks against Cal and Arizona State. Not really difficult opponents, I'm sorry to say. But I think they're going to be ready. They've had a, their ability to fine-tune things and get healthy. Oregon now riding a week where they had a momentum revenge win against Utah. And they defense had to step up, pick off Cam Rising three times, and even make a, a last couple-minute stop to win the game. I'm two and two in Oregon picks this year, so obviously I'm looking for the tiebreaker. Um, I do think this game comes down to leadership, and I would rather put that in the hands of a senior quarterback and Bo Nix rather than a, a, a freshman and Ben Gobranson. That doesn't mean that the talent isn't there. This kid could be the next Peyton Manning for all we know. We just haven't seen him play enough yet. Expect a nail biter in Corvallis this weekend. Oregon State will hold the Ducks to less points, um, but the Ducks will get the win. I'm saying Oregon 31 to 28. And a lot has to be said for Bo Nix and his experience in big time rivalry games, right? This is a dude who's played in the Iron Bowl. He knows what rivalry game means. So I I'm with you. I think that plays a huge part in the Ducks pulling this one out. Our Saturday showcase is a big one. The game, a matchup between two bitter and currently undefeated rivals as Jim Harbaugh and the third-ranked Michigan Wolverines head south to take on Ryan Day and the second-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes, with a Big Ten East title and potential spot in the playoffs on the line. Some key facts and notes, this will be the 117th all-time meeting between these two programs, with Michigan holding a 59-51 lead. Michigan won last year's matchup 42-27, ending an eight-year drought. Ohio State is favored by 7.5, with the over-under being 57. Michigan is 11-0 on the season, 8-0 in the Big Ten. Ohio State is also 11-0 on the season and 8-0 in the Big Ten. David, the focus this week for the Wolverines is the health of Heisman contending running back Blake Corum. 
if he isn't able to go or is at least not at 100% for Saturday, what can we expect from C.J. Stokes and Isaiah Gash? Do you believe that J.J. McCarthy is capable of carrying this offense should the game fall on his shoulders? Well, uh, first, I pray to God that Blake Horm is at 100% because we'll definitely need him regardless. Um, but I think uh, who you can't count out is Donovan Edwards. Um, I know he's been out injured for the past couple of games. Um, but, you know, depending on who you listen to, where you get your information from, message boards, blogs, all that stuff, um, there, I mean, is some level of reason to believe that uh, him not playing in the Illinois game was more so uh, for, like, precautionary reasons um, and to give him a little bit more time to heal up. Um, and so, again, take that with a grain of salt. Who knows? It, the injury might also be much worse than we expected because uh, Jim Harbaugh in Michigan has had a reputation in the past couple of years for not releasing any information. Um, I think he had a press conference today where he said um, for pretty much every player that's up in the air, like, oh, they might play and they might not play. And it, it just kind of sucks as a fan. But at the same time, you know, I mean, I guess it, it provides some advantage because the other team has to prepare for all the different scenarios. Um, but yeah, if Donovan Edwards is able to play, I think it definitely gives uh, Michigan fans some relief because of his ability to be able to go run routes and catch the ball. Uh, and so I think uh, even though he might not be as good of a runner as Blake Quorum is, um, he, he definitely provides other ways that he can uh, change the game. And I don't know how OSU's linebacker coverage has been this past year, um, but, you know, he's to some extent, he's able to be a pretty effective like slot. Where he could be a pretty effective uh, slot wide receiver uh, if he wanted to be or if that's who he was coached up to be. Um, so if he's in the game, then that definitely helps, even if Blake Quorum isn't at 100 percent. Um, but at the same time, um, yeah, we just don't know what the health is going to be like for both of them. And so, um, I mean, you know, ho no, hopefully both of them are going to be healthy for that. Uh, when it comes down to CJ Stokes and Isaiah Gash, um, it, it, it's going to be hard uh, to have a lot of confidence that they'll be able to uh, carry out Michigan's uh, running off, rushing offense. Um, I know, you know when you saw the second half against Illinois, right, that Michigan offense stalled a lot. And it's because they weren't able to get the steady amount of rushing yards that they usually do with Blake Corum. Uh, that first down, um, if, you know, even if you can get five yards consistently, which Blake Horam is so good at, um, you know, it, you only get one or two yards each time, then that just provides more stress and a lot more pressure on each and every down. So, um, I mean, it's it's a big ask, right? They uh, both um, Stokes and Gash, they had to go into the game. They, they didn't, I'm, I'm assuming they didn't expect to play too much. Um, and this is against uh, statistically one of the best rushing defenses in college football. Um, and so, like, they, they, they played with great effort, right? I, I think uh, you got to give them some credit there and some um, reasoning there. But if that's who you're focusing on, if that if they're going to be your focal players against OSU, um, it's going to be hard to to be confident um, in that rushing offense. Um, and then when it comes to JJ McCarthy, uh, do I believe he's capable? I think so. I, I think on some level he has the ability to make throws, but um, in the past couple games he hasn't been as accurate as he usually is. Um, but um, that's not just him, though. The wide receivers, they've been catching a lot of balls. Andrew Anthony on that fourth, and I believe it was fourth and four. Um, there was, you know, I think reasonably you could have called an offsides penalty. Um, that's why Donna, uh, that's why JJ took, uh, took the opportunity to make that throw. Um, but the wide receivers, also, they haven't been able to make those catches. Um, there's just been flat-out drops. And it's this weird thing where, uh, you know, JJ, some of his passes, um, they could be more accurate, but the way that he throws them, they become 50-50 balls. And then by the way that the wide receivers just haven't been able to catch the ball cleaning this year, it just turned into 25-75. Um, it'd be great if we had a Marvin Harrison or yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. because all the 50-50 balls become 80-20 balls with him. Um, so, uh, yeah, is JJ capable? I think so. But 
just the way that the offense is set up and the way that the wide receivers have been playing, it um, th- there's not a lot of confidence. Uh, I think the talent is there, but uh, the execution um, it, it's it's just unproven as of right now. So it'd definitely be hard to um, to think that he'd be able to you know have like a 400 yard passing game and um, you know win it for the Wolverines if there's no Blake Corum. And I'm glad you talked about you know. Blake Corman, how effective he is on first down, because I think that's a big part of Michigan's offense, right? Is staying on schedule and you make these manageable second and third down, you know, yardage situations. And that allows JJ to be comfortable because now you're not asking so much of him. You're asking for, you know, seven yard out routes. You're asking for those dump off passes to the running backs. You're asking for slant routes that he is very much capable of hitting. And if he gets behind on that schedule, and if you're asking him to make, 12 yard throws, you know, 20 yard throws. Then I think I agree with you. I think Michigan might be in trouble. So um, Donovan Edwards being a part of it would be big for them. If that hand is broken, not sure how effective he'll be in catching the ball, but I agree with you. He's one of the best catching threats out of the backfield, in my opinion, right next to Bijan Robinson. So that would be a big re- relief button, I guess, for JJ too, because that allows him to use his athleticism to get out of play, uh, get out of, situations with the pass rush and and kind of dump it off to Edwards and allow him to do what he does best in the open field. Steve, on the Buckeye side of things, last year, Ohio State was able to move the ball on the Michigan defense, but struggled to convert crucial third downs, eight of 18, and score touchdowns in the red zone. This year, the Buckeyes are second in the country in red zone offense, 96%, and 15th in the country in third down conversions at 47.8%. Is this where the game will be decided once again? Have Ryan Day and company made the necessary adjustments to find success in these areas? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think this is where the game will be decided again. I mean, when you're you're playing a quality defense like Michigan has, um, the ability to extend drives on third down and being able to convert in the red zone, you know, scoring touchdowns and settling for field goals is going to be crucial. You know, as Buckeye fans, we've seen this numerous times in the past in, in big games. Um, but I think I think both of these items really circle back to Ohio State's ability to run the ball. Um, I think we saw in the game against Michigan last year, there were a number of times where the inability to run the ball burned Ohio State on third and fourth and short. But I think we also saw the inability to run the ball on first and second down, um, knock that offense off schedule and put the offense in obvious passing downs. Um, so I think as good as Ohio State's pass game is, so much of the team's ability to actually score really does hinge on the run game. Um, And I know, Cole, you've already heard plenty of this from me already. Um, But right now, in my opinion, Travion Henderson, right now, whether it's due to the injury or not, um, just really isn't being an effective runner, in my opinion. You know, I I think too often right now, he's looking for a home run instead of taking the yards that are there, um, which is not what this offense needs from its running game. Um, And I think Williams and Hayden have done a much better job of hitting the hole and taking the yards that are there, you know, whether that's four or five, six yards. And this allows the passing game to stay on schedule and really reach its full potential. Um, So to kind of circle back to the original question, I think if Ohio State is able to successfully run the ball, I think that's going to lead to more converted third downs and more success in the red zone and ultimately more points on the scoreboard. Um, And I think they've shown throughout this season at times that these issues have been corrected, but there have been a handful of other games where these same issues have popped up again. Um, And so it's kind of tough to tell with them week to week, really what you're going to get from this run game. But I think that's really where this game hinges is on Ohio State's ability to run the ball, because I think I think if they can run the ball. That's going to unlock, you know, the full potential of this offense. 
No, I completely agree. And and on both parts of that, I, I love Henderson as an athlete. I think he has the potential to be a phenomenal running back, but his vision and his ability to find a hole and hit it has not been there this year. And with these stretch zone plays, you have to make a decision. You have to make it quickly. And so that's why I think you saw Dallin Hayden have such such success against Maryland because right or wrong, the kid picks a hole and goes a hundred miles an hour through it. And even if he's running into a clogged hole, he's still getting four yards. So we're still keeping on schedule. So it's, it's very similar to what I said with, with Michigan's offense. And it's how it goes with most premier offenses in college football. You have to stay on schedule on first and second down to even put yourself in a reasonable place to convert on third and keep drives alive. David, turning back to you, last year you mentioned how important home field advantage is. Do you believe it'll play a role this weekend? And how do you ultimately see this game playing out? Uh, I, Well, yeah, when it comes to games like this, uh, I, I don't think... Uh, you can make an argument that it doesn't make a difference, um, especially for Ohio State. I'm pretty sure their home record is something pretty insane. Uh, I don't recall them losing to home, losing at home, uh, very many times in this past millennium. Uh, to be quite honest with you, they're just elite there, and so um, I, I don't know. The whenever Michigan has a home game against Ohio State, there is always a lot of red, and so maybe Michigan players they don't really see the difference. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I I think it does make a big uh, difference ultimately. Um, I think Michigan's toughest road game uh, this year has been Iowa. And granted, we broke, um, I guess, the whatever curse there was where we couldn't win against them since the early 2000s or the year 2000. Um, so maybe lightning strikes twice. Uh, I wouldn't mind that. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine how home field advantage wouldn't make a difference in this game. Um, but luckily, uh, Michigan's game also on offense, particularly, just seems to be just slowly killing a team. So um, maybe that helps them uh, to reduce the uh, when they're uh, at away games, um, but how do I ultimately see this game playing out? I mean, yeah, I'm not going to pick Ohio State. I'll tell you that much. Um, I, you know, I think Michigan. Uh, I'm hoping right that a lot of the injured players that we have uh, that maybe it was just the pure arrogance of Michigan to think that we could hold them out out of the Illinois game, uh, so that they can be a little bit more healthier for this game. Um, and so especially if Blake Quorum is even like 80% of what he usually is and we're able to get a lot of our contributors back, um, I can, uh, I'm hoping, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and I'm going to predict that they're going to be able to have their way of offense slowly just squeeze the living life out of Ohio State um, into some sort of score that's like 31 to 28 or 34, 31. Uh, again, I'm hoping for the game to be tied 31, 31. JJ McCarthy drives him down, Jake Moody balls as big as or as hard as steel just comes out and kicks a 50 yarder to win the game so yeah i'll say 34 31 eventually it has to happen that way right eventually you have to be rewarded no i mean david to be honest with you we've heard all year about you know ohio state went out and got jim Knowles. they've upgraded their defense they've went out and got justin fry they upgraded their running game but we haven't seen it against a team like michigan yet so I completely understand there being no belief that it won't play out very similar to it did last year until proven otherwise. Right. So Michigan knows what they're going to do. Everybody knows what Michigan's going to do, but they do it very, very well. And so that's the game plan. Then they're going to stick to it. And I think if they are able to be successful, they absolutely could walk out of Columbus with a win for the first time since 2000. Steve, are the Buckeyes primed to get back in the win column with this rivalry? Or like I said, will Michigan win two in a row and for the first time in Columbus since 22 years ago? 
I think we're going to see probably the most motivated Ohio State team. You know, we've seen since that the rematch with Clemson in 2020. Um, so I think the key for that, though, is not playing too overhyped at the beginning. You have to play with that controlled aggression. You know, you want to go out and you beat these guys and prove everybody wrong and that last year was a fluke. Um, but you still have to do that within the constraints of the game and within your game plan. Um, so I think Ohio State needs to come out strong, um, play with aggression, but that needs to be controlled. You know, that means not committing a bunch of unnecessary penalties, taking chances that aren't there. Um, but when it comes down to it, I, th- I think Ohio State has shown me enough this year that I think they can correct the mistakes that we saw in last year's game. I think they will be able to run the ball much more successfully. Um, I do like what Jim Knowles has done. Um, and I, th- I think overall, Ohio State has more talent. And I, I just feel like last year, Michigan went out, they earned that game, they deserved everything about it. Um, but I think this year on Ohio State's home field and kind of what we've seen so far, I just I don't think Michigan's offense is going to have quite enough to keep up this year. Um, I They ran the ball down our throat last year. They don't get that wrong. I just don't see that happening again this year. I think they will have success on the ground, but I don't think it's going to be 42 points of success. Um, and I think, I think Ohio State's offense gets things – uh, corrected, and I think the Buckeyes are going to go out and get a win this year, and I'm going to go score of 37 to 24, but I think it's going to be a close game throughout. I think maybe Ohio State gets a, the last touchdown at, their, at the end to make it look a little bit better, but I think this is going to be a hard physical game, but I think the key is which team can play the most aggressive um, without going outside the bounds of what they need to do. I completely agree. I mean, this is a physical matchup, and you have to bring it for this game. So, We're going to see if the Buckeyes are up for the task. All right, gentlemen, we don't have Showtime Steve's famous garbage time this week, but the unfortunate part of our show is we simply don't have enough time to cover all the games we would like to, especially during a week like this one. So I thought we could take a few minutes, do a rapid fire of all the other rivalry games being played out across the country and share our predictions. So you guys ready? All right, Big Bear, the Egg Bowl, Mississippi State at number 14, Ole Miss. Who you got? Yeah, Ole Miss has lost three of four leading into this. Uh, you got to imagine the lane trains looking elsewhere. And Turkey Day football is full of plot twists. And Will Rogers is one of the nation's best passers. Give me Mike Leach and the dogs here in an upset, 33-30, to 30, Mississippi State. Wow. The, the like Sunshine that. Showdown, Florida at number 19, Florida State. Will? We got Florida comes out hard and fast, but it's not fast enough to get to slow down the red hot Seminoles. Look for Florida to get chomped. FSU 35, Florida 21. David, the Governor's Cup, Louisville at Kentucky. Uh, I mean, I know Louisville is coming off a pretty big upset against uh, North Carolina State this past week. They beat Wake Forest, um, dominated Wake Forest, actually, for that matter. Uh, so they're no strangers to big games, but uh, for some reason, I just see Will Levis, Will Levis, and Chris Rodriguez having big games after they made Georgia sweat last weekend's. Uh, although I guess it wasn't really with the offense, but um, they're still a talented team. At one point, they technically were a top ten team. So I'll say Kentucky twenty eight, Louisville twenty four. As long as nobody makes me watch Will Levis put mayonnaise in his coffee again, it was simply awful. Jesus, Steve, the Iron Bowl, Auburn at number eight, Alabama. You know, I love the energy Cadillac Williams has brought to Auburn. Um, his past two weeks, they got two W's there, but they, they just don't have enough this year. Alabama technically still alive in the playoff race if enough things go correctly for them. So I think they're going to come out and look to make a statement in this one. I'll take the Crimson Tide 42-13. Blowout. 
Big Bear, back to you. Land of Lincoln Trophy, Illinois at Northwestern. Yeah, Northwestern's failed to score more than 10 points in over a month, and I expect uh, Tommy DeVito and Chase Brown to revenge a very sour loss last week against Michigan. Um, expect Illinois to win this pretty clearly, 28-10. to 10. Will, another phenomenal trophy, the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe, Minnesota at Wisconsin. Love the trophy. Normally love the game. This game is going to be the opposite of Bunyan's axe. Dull and short, and it's going to leave us blue like his cow. Wisconsin 13, Minnesota 10. David, staying in the Big Ten, battle for the old oaken bucket, Purdue at Indiana. Yeah, it's a Big Ten West game, and they're, it's, it's just a division of sickos, and they just create chaos. <laughs> Purdue should win. They have all the motivation in the world. They still can win the division, but it's the Big Ten West. I'm going to take Indiana 35, Purdue 34. I love it. Absolute chaos. War on I-4, number 20 UCF at South Florida. Steve, who are you rolling with? South Florida is awful this year. I didn't even realize this. They're 1-10, 0-7 in the conference. The only win on the year was against the Howard Bison. Uh, you know, Central Florida, I know they lost last week to Navy, but I, th- I think they roll in this rivalry game. They're still alive in their conference. I think they get a big bounce back win. I'm going to go 49-21. Big Bear, I know your uncle will be watching this one. Battled for the Jewel Shillelagh, number 18, Notre Dame at number 7, USC. Yeah, Notre Dame is streaking and at the right time. Uh, to this point, they've knocked off Syracuse. They've knocked off Clemson. Do we see a trifecta in Los Angeles? Hell, why not? I'm actually taking Notre Dame in a huge upset here, possibly the game of the weekend. Give me Notre Dame 38-33 to over USC. Would be a hell of a rebound for Marcus Freeman and would kick the Trojans out of the playoff race. Too soon, Tyler. I'm not ready to talk about that game. Will, the Apple Cup, number 17, Washington at Washington State. I think Washington's going to take the Apple Cup. That ain't a Granny Smith in there. It's a red, delicious offense. Washington's going to go 52, Wazoo 21. And just to throw this in there, I know I know Penix is the is the story of this team right now, but they're, they're a top 10 defensive team. Watch watch them play defense this weekend. It's going to be fun. Still a lot on the line for the Huskies right now. David, battle for Nevada. Nevada, UNLV. Uh, I'm not going to lie. This is not good statistical analysis. I know little to nothing about either teams. I know they're both from Nevada, and they're both having really bad seasons. But in the spirit of rival week, in the the spirit of rivalry week, Jesus, um, blue is better than red. So I'll take Nevada 23, UNLV 14. Hey. Nothing like making a blind bet when in Nevada. Sound reasoning to me. Steve, the Commonwealth Cup trophy, Virginia at Virginia Tech. I think this one actually got canceled. Oh, did it really? Did yeah, it cancel like, the rest of their season? Yeah, yeah just, they, ju- they just announced tonight. Oh, damn. Well, there you go. I'm putting the chat. I can do Kansas, Kansas State real quick if you want. All right. That, that one doesn't have a trophy, but here, let me. All right, Steve, we're going to go to uh, a matchup that doesn't have a trophy or a cool name, Kansas at Kansas State. Yeah, you know, Kansas came out real hot this year. Um, You know, kind of fell off recently, but, you know, still bowl eligible. Good season for them. Um, Unfortunately, I don't think they get it done against their rivals this year. Wildcats are hot right now. Um, Big wins last two weeks over Baylor, West Virginia. I'll take the Wildcats in a shootout, though, 42-35. Would put the Wildcats back in the Big 12 title game to match up with TCU again. Big Bear, the duel in the desert, Arizona State at Arizona. 
Those of you who remember, Jaden Delora was interviewed about his upcoming game against his former team, Washington State. His reply was, just wait and see. It's personal. Well, the dude threw four picks. Um, this game is not pretty. Both teams are not good. Uh, but you better bet I'm going to pick Arizona and Delora over Emory Jones and Arizona State when Emory Jones has only thrown seven touchdowns this year total. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that close, but for the hell of it, 37 to 28, give me uh, Zona rolling here. Uh, to kind of add, he, he said just wait, it's personal. He didn't say which way it was personal. Oh, he but they saw. <laughs> they saw. <laughs> Will, the battle line rivalry, Arkansas at Missouri. Missouri is the show me state, and Arkansas is going to show them. K.J. Jefferson is back, returns his team to a top 10 form. Look what they did to Ole Miss last week. They're pissed off. They deserve to be in the top 10, but with, you know, with unfortunate injuries, just hasn't turned out that way. Missouri is going to get the brunt of this one. Arkansas 42, Mizzou 16. David, finish it out strong. Clean, old-fashioned hate. Georgia Tech at number one, Georgia. Uh, Georgia Tech, unexpectedly, they beat UNC this past week. And so the interim coach, he's doing something good. But at the same time, Georgia is Georgia's Georgia. I mean, they're too talented. Uh, and so I, I see Georgia Tech maybe playing it close in the first half, um, keeping it within a touchdown. But I think Georgia has too much of a, too much talent again. So second half, they'll explode, and it'll be about 45 Georgia, uh, 13 Georgia Tech. Rest, almost, in peace to, rest in peace to Drake May's Heisman campaign, by the way. Yeah, and I almost fell out my chair when you started off with Georgia Tech unexpectedly. I was like, oh no, he's about to say they're going to beat Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not dumb. There's a difference. <laughs> Shoot like your shot, Tech, man. Shoot your no. shot. Big Bear picked Notre Dame. David said, hold my beer. <laughs> Bring it home, Catholics. And with that, everybody, it brings us to the end of our Rivalry Week episode. We are so thankful to have our buddies David, Moose, Will Cockerell, and Showtime Steve Hammond here with us once again, bringing you guys everything college football. Uh, We're excited to see what does and does not happen this weekend. Uh, On behalf of Walk On Red Shirts and First and Gold, we want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Hope everybody gets a lot of rest. Uh, Black Friday's coming. Hit those deals, people, including our own podcast or if you don't know where it is go to twitter you'll find it and remember keep listening to us talk to us on social media we're happy to talk with you at any day anytime any place this has been another episode of first and goal